Welcome to episode 38 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to talk about the 420 of bioplastics. Let's continue the conversation. Hi everyone, welcome back to MADE. With me as always is Ray Peña. How are you doing? Claudia Bergen. Claudia Barragan, yes, I'm here. <laughs> and I am Jose Valcarcel. And welcome back to the show. Hey guys. How's it been going? In a hot Pretty good. July night. Yes, it's been hot. It is, but yeah, a little bit warm. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And still better than Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, sometimes Claudia believes that it's just as hot as Florida here in DC, but I don't see how she thinks that. No, I was riding my scooter. Maybe, maybe Ray would like has felt this before. I was riding my scooter the other day. And it was really, really hot, and if it like I started feeling this mist as right in my face as I was as I was riding, and I looked around because usually there's like some type of um, oh what is it called when they uh, water the the lawn sprinkler. Uh, sprinkler, and you know you ride along a sprinkler and then you kind of get that mist, but there weren't any like. Sp- Big sprinklers around me, like I was like in the middle of the like of the like a large street, like Pennsylvania Avenue. So later on, I, when I got to where I was going, which was like meeting with some environmental friends, they told me that sometimes when it gets that hot and that humid, you feel like these little particles of, of water. You think water. there's water there's the, because of the humidity. There's water yeah. in the air, but I, I don't. I've never felt. I felt. I felt that in Florida, but I've never felt that here. Have you ever huh. felt that? Uh, no, no. Can't say I have. See, I'm still, still wondering. Maybe. Might have been in your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so we are gonna go news this week. Is a special week for me because I don't have to do as much work because Claudia is gonna do her report on a topic. I mean, uh, and in a few weeks, Ray will eventually take a turn doing uh, a report of some kind. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm thinking um, something about subatomic particles. Sounds like fun. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but before we get to Claudia's topic, we're going to go ahead and do some quick news. You okay with that? Yes, that's it. All right, let's go do some news. All right, so getting into some news. Uh, the first piece of news here is that MoMA in New York is going to be having a Frank Lloyd Wright exhibit and it's because of his 150th birthday Um, so I just figured we talk about that talk about it real quick and let people know that it's happening Um, yeah I I have an issue with the calling it 150th birthday because clearly he died so he's yeah he stopped turning any years at that point yeah I want to see his new work yeah <laughs> uh, it's real horrible yeah but i mean aside from that i think this is really cool yeah um you know from from an architect's point of view his drawings are amazing still you know for the time and uh and obviously his work is awesome but what do you what do you guys think about this i think it'll be an interesting exhibit i mean uh three of us went to architecture school so we we studied frank Lloyd Wright, and um i personally have not yet uh seen falling water and even though, you know, we're relatively close, but yeah. we're all familiar with his work. And he was, you know, one of the masters that we 
that we studied. So there's, you know, that part that would find this very interesting, and particularly the the craft, uh, because you know back then you had to you had to draw by hand, right. you know. So there's a, a level of craft there in the drawings, and and I remember for architecture school, uh, the instructors telling us the very same thing. You know, you craft the drawings, you craft your models. You craft your presentation, so that would be would be the part that'd be interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of cool. What about what do you about you, Claudia? What do you think? Yeah, um, well, a couple of things. So the exhibit it is open now through October first, which is important, mm -hmm. and um, it will show. It has like twelve different um, sections, so it covers like a lot of his work, not just his drawings, but also his furniture, his um, uh, glass work. When you say glass, you mean windows. His windows. Yeah. It's, it's he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he also did some lamps, right? Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, when he did furniture, he also did mm -hmm. some lamps. Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, so it really does cover all of the facets of, like, the models and films and television. Um, that's the other thing, right? He was, like, literally the star architect of the time oh, back yeah. in the day. So there's so much written about him and so much content about him. Um, I guess the only, I mean, what I remember from school is, we had to do a, uh, we had a class, it was a precedence class, and we had to, like, uh, basically, like, study one of the, one project, one architectural project from this star architects back in the day. Like, yeah, one of the masters, right? I would call The it. masters of architecture, yeah. yeah. And I got um, Roby House, mm -hmm. and, I mean, I, like, thoroughly, like, I drew all, you had, you had to draw it by hand, you know, all of the plants, the sections, and everything else, and then I remember going, Jose and I went to Chicago, because we actually went on a, we st we're still technically doing it, it's a lifelong, like, um, how would you call it, like, a, a, a trip of, every time we go somewhere where there is a uh, Franklin Wright house, or a building, or a, um, just any remnants of him, we'll go visit it. So yeah. we've been around the country. Like we still have to go the, the entire West Coast and. Check well, we saw out. a lot of it. We saw a lot of, we saw a lot of the ones in uh, in L.A. We did. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But when we went to Chicago and we saw Roby House, it was awesome because they were built. They were doing work on it, mm -hmm. and to me, it was great because it reminded me of that whole like summer of taking presidents and um, doing all the drawings. But then, like, you know, there's always this thing of like you bump into like a. Piece of, bro of brick because they were just renovating it, and it's like, oh wait, I broke it. <laughs> Don't, that's not getting into so, like, what you did. It was crazy, but it was <laughs> are you talking about vandalism? No, it was crazy because like they vandalism. had like different. No, they had all this brick like out outdoor in the corner, and I'm like walking around like really excited to see this awesome building, and then it's like, wait, did I bump into like a brick from the early house? That was a pile of hysterical bricks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. Yeah. But it's just it's just such a cool thing. I think it's like a, it's one of those. Um, if you're an architect, if you have gone to school, you know, Franklin Wright, and yeah. you have to respect them. Well, I mean, I think even if you've never been to architecture school and you know anything a little bit about architecture, you've seen his work, and um, you know, it's extremely well respected. Um, the other reason why I put this on here and I brought it up is because we, well, we're not sure we're going to be in New York between September 23rd and 24th, but it's likely we'll be in New York because that's when World Maker Fair is going to happen hmm. in New York City. So potentially, if people are interested, maybe we could all take a tour 
Victor, go as a group maybe to go check out this exhibit. Yeah. Over there. With so, listeners from New York and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I'll be friends. People from friends. Maker Fair or something, yeah. We could potentially go to MoMA. I think that would be really cool. So, All right. so something to look forward to, something to keep in mind and remind us of. Um, but yeah, so Frank Lloyd Wright, I, I mean, yeah, the, there's so much that could be said, but there's really no need to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's go to the next story, which is a shape-shifting paper model at Harvard. Um, the reason I put this on here is because actually it reminded, when I first saw it, it reminded me a little bit of the, the cube that we talked about a couple of weeks back that would sort of uh, assemble itself. Ah, uh, Yes. Right, we yeah, I think that was last week. I should that we talked about it maybe. Um, so this is very interesting because it's just sort of a paper model that, when you look at it, it's, it's a little mesmerizing actually to just see how it keeps shifting shapes as he moves it back and forth in his hands. Um, but uh, what do you guys think about this uh, very quick project and put the potential of it? You know, why don't you go first, Claudia? Um, I, I, I was like, well, this is really cool. It's a cool visual. But, um, so I don't know, like, when I was little, I used to make little boxes out of paper, like, so, sort of like the origami. And that's where you would put little gifts and stuff. It just reminded me of that. Like, they had, you know, this, this idea of, like, bending paper mm-hmm. and then coming up with a specific shape. And then, yeah, it just, it was very reminiscent of, of that. But it seems pretty cool. Like, just a really good visual, I think, more than anything. Yeah. What about you, Ray? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. It reminds me of like uh, toys. I remember some toys being very similar to this, but not nearly as complex. Right. Um, I think, and you may have seen it. They're like paper toys. Uh, made they, they had triangular shapes, and you can kind of fold it in different directions. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, with I, your hand, and you would pick a color or whatever. <laughs> oh that. no, no, not those. No. <laughs> no um, I, I don't even know what it's called, but you would make it yourself. It's a homemade mm. kind of thing. Oh, okay. And it had maybe two dozen little triangular shapes. Mm. And you could, yeah, the way you taped it, you could fold it in and maybe get like a half a dozen different configurations out of it. Mm. But it would, you know, would permutate from one to the other to the other. Kind of like this is, but it looks like they've figured out a way to uh, take it to the next level because what was interesting about, and this is just a little short video. Uh, but that you could, because of the way it was folded, you can actually change the opacity. You could change the size, you could change the shapes, and you can change the scale. So it had a beautiful transformative quality that uh, I would love to see how this translates um, into a practical use. And I suspect that, you know, you look at it and you look at it a model and you say, oh, this will be interesting as a building or as a spacecraft or something big. I think it's going to have its most interesting influence in the micro scale. I think uh, nano machines, yeah. um, you know, the microscopic scale, the atomic scale. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how this concept would be able to be transformed in the in you know when you're looking at it in tiny instead of uh, instead of large. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, I think cause when you first look at it, it almost looks like space falling. Like you can imagine a building doing this somehow, you know? Yeah. But I think you're right in that when you think about it, looking at it at a nanoscale would be even more interesting, which is the yeah. same thing that I thought about that cube that would assemble itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. With, the, with it changing opacity like that, you can have, it could be like a filter. 
In one direction, it allows things to flow, and then it would fold and block things out. So you could figure that's floating around in your body or, or even, uh, you know, in pipes or something like that. It would be very interesting. Very cool. Cool. All right, with the last story that we're going to go talk about real quick before we uh, get to Claudia's report, which has to do with uh, our favorite place in the world, Florida. Um, <laughs> and it's that a bill has been introduced that would legalize delivery drones. Now, these are not drone, these are not flying drones necessarily for this particular bill. They're uh, vehicle drones. Um, so what do, you, what do you guys think about this, Ray? Um, interesting concept. I know they've been playing around with this in England quite a bit, um, even for, and, and here's, here's the deal that was interesting about it. In England, they, they, they've done a lot of studies and, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, um, let me order something from Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow. Right. What, what you fail to realize is that thing you ordered from Amazon started on the other side of the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been on cargo container. It. Uh, you know, travel to a warehouse by truck or railroad. Uh, and then the last leg of its journey to your house is by airplane and then by, uh, you know, UPS, for example, UPS delivery truck. Hmm. Well, that's quite a lot of carbon involved in getting you your cell phone case, for example. Hmm. <clears throat> so what they were able to determine is a lot of that process of transport is done at a at a very large scale. You've got container ships, you've got railroad, you've got, you know, semi-trucks. Uh, and the amount of energy and cost that is consumed in the, in the big transportation is only about 20 to 25% of the full cost of transport. That last little leg, that last little piece to get it from the uh, distribution center to your house is where 75% of the expense of transport and carbon is being spent. Mm -hmm. So um, in England, they're trying to, or they've been, they have been experimenting with letting drones do that last leg of the, of the uh, trip so that you're not having that much investment in carbon or expense. And, it, and I think it's working very well in their initial, experiment, in initial experiments. And it was this company, too, Starship Technologies. So it's interesting that they're trying. Yeah, um, if I can find it, I will look up that, um, that article because I think you'd find it interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, they have their, but their drones are much bigger. They're, they're probably 400 pounds, 500 pounds, and they stand almost as tall as a person. Jeez. And they're delivering things like, like, for example, Amazon packages or even groceries. So it's very interesting, and this is interesting to see this happening here in the United States. Um, I know this is just a little, a little pilot deal, but um, with a lot of states kind of looking in this direction, I'm I'm curious what ten years from now would look like if we have, you know, drones of all types delivering all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, it, well, what do you think, Claudia? It's... Well, I looked it up because, yeah, in Florida, it seems like it, it makes a lot of sense because of what you guys always complain about, how hot it is, mm -hmm. right? And also how there isn't really a good transportation system there, and then everything is just driving and driving and driving. Um, so delivering um, items, products to, from one area to another, it, it, this could work. People don't walk on the sidewalks in Florida. Right. 
But what really got me about this this particular article is that they are doing it here in D.C. and I haven't heard about it. And I'm all, my pulse is on D.C. all the time. And what I realized, I looked it up, and what they're doing in D.C. is that they're delivering food. Mm. And they're specifically focusing on um, bids and um, business improvement districts. So it's a within a mile radius. D.C. is very small. It's only 10, 10 square miles. So... Um, so they're specifically looking at posh neighborhoods, which is, you know, like one of the things we were talking about earlier. And um, what really bothers me about this, though, is that personally, from an urban planning perspective, from a public right of way perspective, and also from equity, we're having so many social issues with streets, with, with streets here in the district where seniors can't walk on streets, uh, kids can't walk on streets. Um, and it's not that they can't, but... They're, because of public-private partnerships, streets, um, side streets, sidewalks are being privatized. So people will call on police, like people will call uh, youth, uh, like the police on youth all the time. And it's crazy how the government can allow something like this, but they won't allow its own residents to sometimes walk in the streets. And I know I'm taking it to the policy level. This is a very techie, cool thing to do. But, you know, even in, in the articles, in the most poshy article, the Washingtonian, which is a journal, poshy journal here in D.C., they say, oh, my gosh, we're so surprised that no one is stealing this, these uh, drones yet. And again, you know, it's, it's that whole elitist thing. It was like, oh, yeah, if we take it to a, to a, to a neighborhood that is not so safe, then, oh, those vandals are going to come and steal it because this is such a great thing. There's just so many things wrong with this. I... I I am not opposed to technology and and drone technology and 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 um, growth, tech growth, but it has to be done equitably. You mm-hmm. can't just push these things forward, and it's just it it really frustrates me. But I I guess it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think for me, I have a lot of questions as to because like like you were saying, right? So this is sort of like it's the last leg, but I don't understand how this thing driving around because somebody has to program it and tell it where to go and the technology has to go into this so that it doesn't you know like there's a picture of it here in front of an old man with a cane (laughs) so for this thing not to run over this old man there's a lot of technology that has to go into here right into this thing right either somebody's driving it remotely or it has to have knowledge of like there's something in front of me i have to stop wait for it to pass and then keep going Right, like this thing is not going to be cheap to make. No, and from and what I understand, they're they're autonomous. Right, that, yeah. I would I would assume so because otherwise yeah. it's even more expensive. Yeah, um, I just do not understand how this is going to be cheaper than having a person just sort of drop off a baggage for you. Um, yeah, well, that's but, taking jobs away, right? Yeah, we've had that discussion. <laughs> there, was also a, there was also a news story I had about that, but I, I pushed it till next week, so mm-hmm. we'll talk about that next week again. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just I I mean the amount of the amount of technology and know how that has to go into making this thing work is is is, is next level. Um, I also wonder how it would work because the distance that this can go can't be that that far. So I don't know if like it'd be interesting if like a truck drives to a certain location and then these little robots fly out from a, from it and go deliver and then come back to it. I don't know. No, the way the that I saw that this works in England is that there is a, a, a central node that all of these robots go uh, emanate from and return to. Right. 
Um, and then they're basically neighborhood uh, delivery systems. So every neighborhood has a node. Um, and yeah, you're right. The, the goods and services need to get to that node to be distributed. Right. Uh, but you're but if you've got a big enough node and you've got a tract one tractor trailer with all the items that go there, you're only making one trip, mm -hmm. and then the robots make that last leg. Um, it, it's interesting. I don't know how well it's going to work here in the United States, uh, but from what I saw, it's working very well in um, in London, and and they're not doing it all over London either. These are small little areas that they're working on. I think the thing that bothers me about this is that it's, to me, it's the same issue that the post office has, right? The post office has, they should, it used to be that people would go to the post office to pick up their mail. Yeah. And when you would go to the post office, you would like run into people, you would say hi to people, you would interact, there'd be a certain little community the post office has, but there'd be a lot of post office in, in like almost every neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Then the post office got into delivering mail to the individual houses, so that went away. And now the post office, I mean, the only reason the post office is, is, is around is because the government <laughs> sort of subsidizes it, right? Yeah. So this is the same idea. Like, what I've seen that I thought made more sense is, like, you go to 7-Eleven sometimes, and there's an Amazon locker system that you can have your package delivered to. You go to the 7-Eleven, and you pick up your package from that thing. That's, that's bringing all the packages to one node, and people come to pick it up. I've never you seen know? that. You've never seen that? Yeah, I've, no, I've seen them in a, in a couple of places around here. They have in grocery here. stores. They have in grocery stores. I've seen them, I've seen them quite, a, quite a few places. I think that, to me, that makes more sense business-wise. And, you know, trying to keep down the costs and the fuels and the batteries that you have to charge. And everything. Like, oh, and the maintenance. You and the maintenance, right. Like, that, to me, makes more sense than this. But I think because drones have become such a fad and... And somebody had the idea of, oh, I'm going to start delivering with drones, not necessarily thinking about how much it'll cost. Like, now everybody wants to do it. Yeah. And it to me, it seems like it's one of those things that let's see if we can do it without thinking of whether we should do it. Well, you yeah. know, the, the whole thing about drones is uh, when, you look, when you look at the flying drones, they used to be very, very expensive. Right. And now they're quite reasonable. And I think this is probably the same kind of deal because you're starting it out. Yeah, that little guy, I would not be surprised if that little drone was sixty, seventy thousand $70,000. Would not be shocked. The one that's in this picture. That little tiny one, yeah, right. the 50-pound drone. Right. Easily, if not more. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. But I think that that's what this is. It's one of those things where they're uh, trying something out, and eventually, if it, if it catches on, that you will see some kind of um, economic gain. But uh, I agree. The way it is, as we see it here, very expensive, I'm sure. Right. I, I mean, I'm still the mind that I'll believe it when I see it. Like, when I, I have one delivered, yeah. just to me, I'll believe it. Until then, I don't know that I will. I'll add one last thing. Mm -hmm. thought of this is, so in D.C., it snows. And when it snows, people don't necessarily clean their sidewalks. And mm -hmm. this is, like, in the business districts either. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how this little... Right. I mean, remember, I don't know if we've told this story on air or not, but uh, we have a, a car sharing system here in D.C. Oh, yeah. Called Car2Go. And at one point, you had taken a picture of like a Car2Go that was buried in the snow. And you had For tweeted days. it. Yeah. yeah, you had tweeted it. And Car2Go contacted her because they, they couldn't find the car. They had lost a car, like a, huh. an entire car. Because of the snow, they couldn't, they couldn't, the GPS wasn't working. They couldn't find where it was, so they asked her where it was. So they were like, we noticed that you posted a picture of one of the cars. Can you go back out there and, and tell us, and tell us which one, you know, like, can you yeah. read us the tag? 
And then I did, and then they gave me like a thirty dollar yeah. free ride, like you know, like. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. If a company loses an entire car, <laughs> <laughs> these things are—I don't know. I mean, I just—I think. A nurse now, I can see yeah. it. Like, yeah. I, I just think it's—it's right. uh, more far fetched than it's being put to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it works out. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I think it's it's that time where. I finally get to turn this over to Claudia, and I don't get to do anything else until she's done speaking for the majority of it. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back for the main topic, which is going to be... Oh, the 420 of bioplastics. All right. So let's get to that. So hi everyone, I'm so glad I, I got a chance to do some research this time around and share some information, some knowledge, drop some knowledge I would say. Mm-hmm. So the topic today is um, 420, the 420 on bioplastics mm-hmm. and um, the reason why it's the 420, I'll just go ahead and say it, is because it's looking at bioplastics but a specific type of bioplastic which is hemp, hemp plastics. So um, but I wanted to start Uh, by discussing bioplastics as a whole Mm -hmm. and we talk a lot about plastic in in our podcast because of the 3d printing Mm -hmm. right um and my biggest beef with 3d printing is how unsustainable it is Mm -hmm. well even though like you know one of the plastics that's most used for 3d printing pla is biodegradable yes Mm -hmm. um but then it's the you know you if you account the electricity being used and and the fact that you know you can make you have so much waste of pretty good plastic PLA plastic um, that's also not not an interesting like it's it's just basically the sustainability just starts shifting and you can argue people print a lot of useless crap <laughs> yeah yes yeah and. So one thing about so what I started looking at is okay so what what are these bioplastics you know what what's the main component and what's the beef with them mm-hmm. um, so it's a it's a bioplastics have to be biodegradable mm-hmm. um, so it's derived from biological substances rather than petroleum that's the main uh, purpose of a bioplastic and it can be biodegradable or recyclable mm-hmm. or produced in in ways in which it, it uses renewable resources, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what really makes up a bioplastic. So you're saying that the plastic itself doesn't really have to be biodegradable as long as it's if it's if it's recycled plastic, it would also be considered a bioplastic. A bioplastic, exactly. Huh. But it's bio and and all and biodegradable uh, is is an important component of this because mm-hmm. uh, so much of bioplastics is marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So to really make something um to really coin or, or brand something as a, as a bioplastic its level of biodegradability is important mm, okay so um the other part of it is that it there are three specific groups mm-hmm. of uh, bioplastics and like you guys mentioned group one uh, is predominantly the plas mm-hmm. uh, polylactic acids yep right and uh, most of them are bio-based and biodegradable, meaning that they're made of lipids or sugars, mm-hmm. right? And then group two is uh, the PET, the polyethylene mm-hmm. 
phthalate. <laughs> and, you know, it, there's also a PE and a PP version of this. And they're partly bio-based. So they're non-biodegradable plastics. And group three is all that's uh, based on fossil fuel resources and may be biodegradable. But um, those are predominantly the PBATs mm -hmm. and um, PCLs. So uh, all of these terms for me, like the only thing I could think of is um, is uh, water bottles. Right. Right, because the, it, the what was that? water bottles. Oh, water bottles, yeah. Right, plastic water bottles. And so because that's how you that's how you see what the what type of category of plastic it mm -hmm. falls under and also what kind of um chemicals does it like does it interact does your water interact with mm -hmm. when it's there if it's also heated heat makes a big difference as well right so um yeah i mean what do you guys think about bioplastics as a whole well i mean i i i remember i've well whenever I hear the word, you know, bio or organic or whatever, I'm immediately dubious of it because, you know, it's such a marketing term yeah. to begin with, you know. Like renewable. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or sustainable. Of, or... Right. Well, and a lot of the times <laughs> the, the word is picked because it depicts something that it's not really doing. Yeah. Like, you know, like the word organic, a lot of people believe, oh, that means it has no pesticides or whatever. But in reality, it just has the right kind of pesticides and stuff like that um yeah yeah so like when i first hear the word bioplastic i'm a little dubious of it um although i've learned more about it and you know if i i do print quite a bit of stuff with pla um i try to use things like that like PLA. i haven't used the petg yet um and uh, i hear petg not only is good because it's sort of it's it is somewhat biodegradable but it's also food safe which is unusual for a lot of 3D printing um, filaments. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of the bioplastics. I, I just assumed it would be derived from algae or some kind of bio, bio chemical or bio. It, it would start with something like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Um, that that brings me to a couple of different questions, because. Um, you know, when I when I think of bioplastics, what I think is uh, taking some kind of biological source. Uh, you bring up algae, that's a good source. Uh, corn would be another good source. Mm -hmm. And you compress it and extract the oil. And from the oil, you convert it into plastic, which is basically how petroleum is converted into plastics. Um, but that, that was my thinking of how a bio plastic, a biosource plastic is made, not having anything to do with its biodegradability. I don't know if that is true. I, I'm not sure what the actual process of how you take something from a biological source and convert it into a plastic. So that's the one point uh, or question, I would say. The other question would be is the suitability of bioplastics um, for thermal forming or thermal setting. Mm -hmm. um, because those are two different processes, um, you know, like like urethane, for example, is a thermal setting plastic. Once you've once you created the shape, that's it. You can't recycle it. You can't turn it into something else. You can't melt it back down. It's it's set. Uh, whereas PLA, if you had a way to grind it and re-extrude it into a filament, you could keep using it over and over. I am sure there reaches a point where its characteristics will degrade after so many melts. Um, and that would be my, my third and final question would be, 
the uh, bioplastic suitability for uh, what they call regrind to be used over and over again without losing its its properties. Mm-hmm. I know, and I know those are all like technical aspects, uh, not necessarily big picture kind of thing. But yeah. uh, when I think about it, that's those are the questions that come to my mind. And most what I what I've learned from just doing a quick research is that most of the questions uh, circle around this biodegradable uh, reality. Right. So that that goes to Jose's and your point, right? In that you know it is it is this market like because it uses the word bio in front of it, does it really um, make it biodegradable? So one of the things about the one of the bullet points that I found about this is that. Um, to actually be biodegradable, a material has to be capable of decomposing naturally through exposure to um, microorganisms. So that makes a lot of sense in in what Ray was mentioning in some in some of his questions, right? Like, how are these uh, products truly capable to withstand certain certain uses? But then also, how do they decompose? Um, what, to what level can they decompose themselves? I mean, that's the purpose of a biodegradable plastic, right? To be able to decompose itself. Right. I would imagine so because specifically, I mean, like I think you mentioned, right, the ability of it to be like ground back up and reused. I couldn't imagine that's a big, big characteristic of the bioplastic at this point because there's so few people that are doing that that are that are that have the capabilities of grinding up plastic and reuse and re extruding it into a filament and reusing it. So it would make sense to make that part of the criteria to call it a bioplastic. It wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't. Yeah. Because just not, not, nobody's doing it. Well, yeah. Nobody's yeah. Doing yeah. It. yeah. Very few people. Yeah, the focus it. is more on the on the on the fact that mm-hmm. you're using le- you're using alternatives modes of right. modes of energy to be able to yeah. create it. Right. So the other the other point about this is is exactly about the oil. So most products that are out there that are bioplastics and are biodegradable, um, they are a combination of some petroleum petroleum polymer with a biodegradable additive mm. or other materials that make uh, it uh. Um, become easily degraded. So, mm. you know, the facilitate degradation. But they represent a small portion of the global market too, uh, which is important. So even then, they're not the purest form or some of them or most, the best thing, the best way to say is that not, most of them are not the purest form of biodegradability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is because they they might be using petroleum-based um, materials probably for the bulk of it, mm-hmm. that the the linking, the links in the plastic that will hold it all together is from a bio biological source. Therefore, it is biological, uh, biodegradable, but that means you're just destroying the links. The, the actual petroleum-based product may still be intact, just in tinier pieces. Yeah. So that's an interesting question I like how, that I don't know if anybody is studying is how uh, when you when a plastic does biodegrade is it just a lot of little tiny microscopic pieces or is it actually really chemically degraded into inert and and harmless other products other compounds Well so so in the pros and cons of it I think so for example if a bioplastic is sent to a landfill so this is a cons section part of yeah. it. Um, it can release methane um, into the atmosphere. Hmm. Yeah, but so I mean, it's an interesting there you have a lot of, but you have a lot of that in the landfill. There's a lot of methane being released as a whole, and that's as why a whole, the, yeah. as a whole, yeah. 
Um, but that's and that's 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 the key, right? Like, how do you? Is it really degrading? Is it really degradable to what you're to the extent that you're saying of the small particles? Exactly. Because you, it, ultimately, you're always sending it to a landfill, uh, mm-hmm. or you're always sending it to a to the most, uh, you know, even like even within the zero waste system, you're still yeah. com- decomposing of it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because uh, it might be bio- biodegradable, and I and I think that there's a lot of merit in that. Because there's a lot of plastic floating around the ocean, and it's in our environment everywhere. Fish are eating it, so the biodegradability, I think, is is an important factor. However, you can't get the energy you spent in it, right? If you can't recycle it, you can't reuse that energy that you that was used to create it in the beginning. Now, even though there's a lot of plastic that is not getting recycled, there is the potential to take that plastic and do exactly that, recycle it, and recuperate some of that invested energy. Yes, so, on its so, own. Yep. Yeah, on its own. So I'm curious to see how this will develop if we start seeing more market share in biodegradable bioplastics and biodegradable plastics and their recyclability. Yes. Yeah. So the other cons that I that I thought that was interesting is, so for bioplastics, again, in, in, in terms of these water bottles, right, while for me, I think it makes a big difference um, because I'd rather have this this my 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 uh, pretty cool biodegradable bioplastic water bottle. Um, but is the is the material the material has to be like I think Jose mentioned this has to be suitable for it to have um, for mm-hmm. one to consume right That's the one thing. But food the other safe, one yeah. is it has to be food safe. But the other one is also does it really change uh, consumer behavior? Because the cause is that bioplastics do nothing to change consumer behavior because people are still using, are still perceiving it as a plastic, right? So whether it's biodegradable or not or whatever category fits in, they're not necessarily seeing it as something that will dissolve. That's an education issue, though. That's something that can be fixed. You know, when people first started recycling, they didn't know what they were doing either. No, of course, yeah. and the thing with the, but I will I tell you that's the hardest part of the puzzle is the education, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, it's also a part of the puzzle that fixes itself, right? As because we're not nobody's long for this world. So no. as people start dying, the younger people learn that, you know, and that's that's part of the education of it. Is the people that are never going to learn it, they're they're not going to be here long. <laughs> um, yeah. So to that point, um, I think it's a really good segue into. The 420 part. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, before we go, one of the quick things I do want to mention, because this is something that comes up all the time on 3D printing um, forums or boards or Facebook groups, is because people constantly ask about, I want to make this, I want to print something and I want to be able to eat out of it. I want to make a bowl out of it. And I think people, when it comes, whether it's a bioplastic or not, when it comes to 3D printing with a plastic filament and trying to make a container that's going to hold water or it's going to hold food or whatever, the process of 3D printing creates crevices in whatever you're making that usually collects bacteria. Yep. That yep. is why it is not a good idea to do that with a 3D yeah. printed yeah. thing unless you're sealing it somehow. And by or the like point you're epoxy coating it or something. Right, or epoxy coating yeah. or something, kind of sealing it. But at the point you're doing that, you're no longer recycling that piece of plastic. Nope, no, it's useless. It, yeah. It's now it's going to be that forever. So just people should just keep that in mind. It, the process of 3D printing usually doesn't bode well for using it for food. So don't print... 
3D printed spoons or sporks. <laughs> right, I would not. Like a cookie cutter is fine. Mm-hmm. Usually. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. even then you should st- still seal it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that you should never make, and people have also, is they want to print stuff to put in the oven. And that just, to me, shows a lack of understanding yes, of, of course. what it is a 3D <laughs> printer is doing. <laughs> because you should realize I've never heard you're... Of, I never heard of that. Somebody wanted to... Yeah. 3D print something and stick it in the oven. Right, because people see, like, um, and, <laughs> and the thing is silicone molds yeah. being put in the oven. They're like, oh, I want to make my own mold and put it in the oven. Or I want to make this mold to put in the oven. And they're like, no, you're melting the plastic to make this thing. So that means those plastics will melt in the <laughs> oven. Now, yeah. there are some plastics that get you have high, high enough melt temperature that you would be able to bake in the oven with it, but most 3D printers can't do that. Can't use that plastic necessarily. You know, like a silicone, uh, silicone, um, I think there's some vinyl, vinyl maybe? I don't remember, but there's some filaments that are have a higher melt temperature mm-hmm. that you could potentially put in the oven after you've used it, but you have to have a 3D printer that gets that hot to begin yeah. with. So, oh, yeah. Anyway. All right, continue. so going back to the 420... Yes. So, you know, for that specific issue of like, is this a, do bioplastics, you know, they really do nothing to change consumer behavior. Well, I beg to differ. If you are a hemp enthusiast, right, <laughs> you are really going to like appreciate using your bioplastic, your mm-hmm. biodegradable hemp product, right. hemp plastic. But um, just for those who don't understand what hemp is, um, Hemp is uh, basically the cannabis plant, especially when grown for its fiber. So it's the fiber of the cannabis plant that is, is extracted from the, from the stem and used to make a bunch of, like, I think it's like 20, there's 25,000 different products that mm. you can make out of yeah, hemp. You can make clothing. Paper, rope, uh, rope fiberboard. Um, and it is also obviously... The plant that you use. The plant to use marijuana. But hemp is not... You can't smoke hemp. Exactly. Let's make that clear. There's several varieties, right? There's more than one variety. Yep. But what's interesting is that... So this particular uh, bioplastic, technically, Mm. right? That can be produced as hemp plastic Mm. is really... uh, uh, It has a really bad rep Mm. because of the legal... Um, intricacies that we see in 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 this country specifically, mm-hmm. right, Re- uh, around marijuana as a whole mm-hmm. and legalizing it. So, um, in terms of where you can find hemp bioplastics, now we're starting to see it more because uh, marijuana is legalized. Mm-hmm. So there is this there is this acceptance that is that has developed within this particular community. So is it also a byproduct of? them growing it for marijuana so i will so let me let me explain that but one of the key thing here is that most of the hemp uh, plastic products that we've seen come from europe Mm -hmm. um and it's because of that like the of the the legality issues here in the united states Mm -hmm. but what is hemp hemp plastic specifically so um it is an affordable bio-based natural fiber composite and um it is let's see uh, it is made of using um, the yeah, the hemp fibers, mm-hmm. and 
specifically it's it's looking at the stem right so it's 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 it's, it's made out of the stem but as i mentioned before like bioplastics um the ones that are made for consumption the produce for consumption they they include some they're they're more of an additive mm-hmm. so hemp is a percentage of the pla it's not necessarily mm-hmm. full 100 but you can have 100% hemp plastic made entirely from the hemp plant. Right, probably not for not probably not for uh, 3D printing though. Exactly, not for 3D printing. And and that's the key. So I don't want to jump into the 3D printing right away because um, before it gets to the point of 3D printing, mm-hmm. hemp plastic has to um, develop as a product mm-hmm. um, originally. You know, like already, like at least establish itself as as a product so mm-hmm. that you can create different things. So yeah, so it's um, it's not made from hemp oil, which is also important. It's definitely made from the stalk, mm-hmm. and that goes to raise question of like oil based, you know, like mm-hmm. products. So so the material is actually and it's, they don't take the oil out of the hemp. No, it's from the stalk, so it's a cellulose mm-hmm. uh, material. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really interesting, and this is I didn't know, is that back in nineteen forty one. Henry Ford used hemp and sizzled cellulose plastic to build car doors and fenders. Hmm. And there's actually a video of like of him um, marketing this one of his cars back in 1941 as the hemp car. And um, what's also interesting, like I mentioned, in Europe, a lot of car makers are actually using um, hemp plastic to build door panels, dashboards, um, and many different like fiberglass um, replacements and all these other um, seat bags, like just parts for cars mm-hmm. as a whole, floor consoles. And uh, these are major car makers like BMW, Honda, Jean, like, you know, like they're, they're all using it. And one really? of the reasons, yeah, wow. they're actually using it. Now they're, they're not using it, um, Full on here in the United States in the production mm-hmm. here, but they're using it in in but in Europe. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So what else? Um. So I, you know, when you guys mentioned this whole thing about um. It falls under the PLA category, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I think it's like because you think of like what what you guys are using for for plastic for three D printing now, um, you could actually technically use. Uh, hemp plastic. Yes. Um, hint, well, hint, hint. You know that was right. Well, she says that. But uh, I think well, one of the reasons why PLA is so used is because it's one of the easiest plastics to 3D print with, right? It's like probably the easiest one. It's almost like set to print, and you can walk away from it. Um, but one of the things you've noticed, which would be interesting actually, is that whenever I'm running the 3D printer and you walk into that room, you can smell the plastic, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you're using a hemp 3D filament, what would it smell like in the in the room? Wow, and I don't think I like most people were or like what I saw on different um, websites was about the the different um, settings that you need to put in for the printer head mm-hmm. um, because of the the heat. Right, you, right? you have, they, they all they all melt at different temperatures. But none of them said anything about like the smell. Right. So again, it, it goes with the culture too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this: uh, a lot of the a lot of the plastics out there is that a lot of the 
filaments out there that have other things in it like aluminum or copper or whatever, the percentage of that material to plastic is probably not high enough that you would smell that. You'd probably still smell the plastic basically burning or melting or whatever. Um, so I would assume it's the same. It would probably just still smell like plastic. But Yeah, and you have to remember it is a composite bioplastic right. too, right? So it's not fully... Mm -hmm. Um, it's not 100% hemp, hemp right. cellulose. So um, in terms of some products and brands that are currently available, mm -hmm. uh, one of the most known is Zeoform or Zeo, which is mm -hmm. a, um, Zeoform is a company and it's an Australian based company that has this like patent um, bioplastic material, which is made of pure cellulose extract from recycled papers and industrial hemp. Hmm. So it's specifically um, marketed industrial even. hemp, like <laughs> rope. You can, you know, you can get hemp rope. Yeah, yep. and is that what they mean by industrial I'm, hemp? My guess. My yeah, guess. it's like natural fabrics, oh. basically. So it is at that level. Interesting. Like I'm wondering, hmm? burlap. You know, burlap sacks and burlap. Yeah. If the source of that fiber. Yes. And it also, again, it's a composite product, right? These are composite products. So it also has renewable waste and renewable plants mm. in the mix as well. But this is a full-on um, injectable molding process mm. to create this particular um, uh, product or, like, this material. And um, Which I would imagine is how most plastic things are made. Yeah, right they're now. in a very they're similar mostly, way, yeah. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. mostly molded, yeah. Yeah, so that so that I thought that was interesting, and it's some pretty cool lightweight um, material that you can like actually create from this. You can it can be sprayed, it can be poured, it can be molded, hmm. uh, it could be pressed or shaped into flat um, materials. It's been used in construction. It could be covered in sauce and eaten with meatballs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the only thing you're missing in that. <laughs> you can yeah. do a whole bunch it of stuff. It starts sounding a little bit like. A like a, a, a pamphlet for the hemp industry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Some, yeah. Somebody just became, somebody's in the packet of big hemp over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, that would be me. Mm -hmm. That's why I decided to make this. <laughs> so the others, now, we, now we're going to talk about 3D printing mm -hmm. with hemp. So it is a, com compo there are compostable filaments and dissolvable uh support material i guess for yeah, like yeah. for this part for for printing mm -hmm. and it most of the filaments that are out there for hemp are plas with about 10 percent of hemp fibers mm -hmm. that usually come from the bark of the cannabis plant which maybe that also answers a lot of the questions about the smell i don't know enough about this mm -hmm. but about cannabis production or parts of cannabis but like i wonder if the smell is different because it's coming from the bark but I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've only looked into cannabis production once for a business idea, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can't say I know that much about it. Yeah, do you want to share how that went? Uh, <laughs> Not particularly? Know. Maybe at the end of the show. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you know, like, we, we, we should say that in D.C. it is some, it is legal now to... Yes, yes. No, no, it was not. I was not... <laughs> It was nothing illegal about. You're not confessing this. to a crime. Exactly. No, no, absolutely not. There was nothing Must illegal about what I was looking into. <laughs> um, but anyways, as my mom is gonna listen to this, it's like what? All right, so. I can't the, wait to hear Jose, your mom. 
listens to it. They, and she gives you feedback, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. I might have told her. She told me that she's a couple episodes behind, but I might have told her about the idea. Actually, I don't remember now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the um, companies that sells filament is uh, 3D4 Makers. Mm-hmm. And it's They sell a bunch of different types of filament, and hemp filament is one of them. And uh, what else are they saying? It's, I you know, some of the stuff is just like it goes over my head, like because mm-hmm. I don't know enough about this 3d printing stuff but it says that filament particular suitable for usage in fdm and fff 3d printers okay i don't know what that means it's fine there's different kinds of 3d printers it's fine all right so um you can like the strength and durability and the printing process of these filaments are pretty cool Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's basically comparable to other other plastics other plastics and there's really not you know not, not much to to say about him, um, one of the brands it's called Entwined, and, <laughs> All right. and it's uh, it costs forty five dollars. Um, so you know, I don't know how up that there in price. Um, yeah, that's about twice the yeah. cost of regular PLA, isn't it? Oh, I mean, you can get PLA for like twelve, like a one kilogram roll for twelve dollars. So that's more than double the price. It's yeah. almost comparable to like you know some people buy um, polycarbonate filaments yeah. which are very strong um so it's almost the price of some of those yeah the other thing is like so there is another company that's called hempeline <laughs> hempeline or hempeline doesn't matter but <laughs> <All right>. it's cool <laughs> anyway so they have you can actually uh, like actually customize your kind of filament like the so percentage of the hemp? percentage of hemp in the composite depends on whatever the, the client wants that's a bad idea so it you is, can yeah, yeah. So you can have like it can be as high as seventy five percent in big thick walled like products if you want to do that. See, like not any kind of printer would be able to print that again. Um, like some of the higher percentage, like some of the aluminum filaments have like up to eighty percent um, aluminum in it. But you know, the more you put of something other than plastic, the higher the temperature it is to melt it. And yeah. And so yeah, not any, not not just anything will be able to, to to use that kind of filament, which is why it's a bad idea for you to call them and decide. You know what? I just, I want seventy percent hemp in my filament. You don't know if the, if your printer will be able to melt that. And once again, most of these companies are not here in the U.S. Yeah. I think one of them, the closest one, is in Canada. Um, but I think there more are coming. There's one in Indiegogo. There's an actual like it's called Hemp Bioplastic Filament H V P. And that one is um, out of Sicily, Italy. No. So it's kind of cool. And they, they've raised enough of their funds. How much is a roll there? Uh, a roll is about, that's and it's pretty good. It's like about $10. That's not bad. But that's probably because it's an Indiegogo starter thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the color is also cool. I like, I, I personally like it. I mean, if you're going to go with the whole hemp um, motif, <laughs> then, you well, that know. can't be the only color they do, right? Yeah, you can you can yeah. do other colors, but you want to be as all natural as possible, right? Again, this mm-hmm. is one of those those products within the bioplastic categories mm-hmm. that actually make a difference in consumer behavior, mm-hmm. right? Because you're actually buying something or you're like using something that is really nat- like perceived as being as natural as possible. What's the well, you know, I think I, I think you Was, hit onto something, Claudia, because there is a certain amount of what I would call, you know, brand loyalty, uh, 
Harley motorcycles, for example, people who are into Harleys, it's always Harley, Harley, Harley. Uh, you guys who, who swallowed the, um, the Apple Kool-Aid, you have several, you know, Apple products. <laughs> yeah, well, so <laughs> there, yeah, there are people who have some kind of, uh, you know, brand loyalty and people who are very, I would say, probably into or obsessed with uh, hemp or cannabis products. I think would have a tendency to um, to gravitate towards this product. So I think marketing-wise, that is probably the the market section that they're looking for are people who already have a an affinity to cannabis or hemp, um, as opposed to someone who might have an altruistic uh, idea that you know, oh, it's from a bio biological source. Let me use let me pay three times the cost. Because I'm doing the right thing using a plastic that is uh, more, you know, biological in its origin. Yeah, and I mean, there's also a certain level of marketing, right? Like, there's a reason why a lot of the wood uh, filaments. filaments are brown, even though they may not have that higher percentage of of wood to make a brown they're purposefully mixing it with brown plastics so that it has that look you know this hemp one that we're looking at here has the color of what you would think hemp looks like when you see like a hemp shirt it's sort of like that brownish paper that brown paper bag type of color mm -hmm. yeah right but i mean i couldn't find real quick here what the percentage of hemp was on this but chances are the percentage is not high enough that it naturally makes it look that color they're making it look that color to be to make it part of what you're saying is this brand loyalty if i'm buying something that's hemp i expect it to sort of be that color yeah yeah and i would add that it comes with i think it's pretty cool when you when you develop when, not when you even develop but when you have a product that is um naturally naturally made, I guess it's like naturally derived, um, but that comes from a community, mm. that from a from a built-in community, because a lot of the products, basically, like if you have this 3D printing filament, um, you can develop a lot of products for the hemp culture. Right. And there's a community of people already ready to buy this. So mm. like the products that they, that they have, um, the more we we change our, our laws to towards a more um, legalized uh, system, then you're going to have, like you inertly have these products that you can make mm. already. It's not like you're making, you know, a shoe or you're making a, a base, you know, like a, a vase. You're, you're mm. really making like products for the community, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. And from a marketing perspective, I mean, it's not a bad business deal. <laughs> But um, yeah, so um, I think we're ready for our um, product of the week, which specifically goes into one of these um, filaments. So do you guys want to you want to talk about it? Yeah, so let's go to the product of the week. So hi everyone. So back again talking about um, hemp products, and the one this is again from the we're not affiliated specifically with mm -hmm. any of these products and, and any of the making or the materials of this product. <laughs> yeah. um, but this one in particular, is, it's from um, 3D4makers.com and it's um, Filament Engineers is the, the name of the company. And they basically sell and also have resellers of filaments. Uh, it's all about 3D making. So 
we're looking at a specific product line that they have, which is the hemp, the hemp filament. Mm -hmm. And it's about seven. And um, again, we can you can order this from abroad because this is not a U.S. company. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to read it. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. It's a little bit expensive for the amount. I mean, 41 41 pounds, right? That's what that symbol is. Mm -hmm. It's that British funny money, um, which is probably about, it's almost, I think it's almost the same as dollars. Is that not euros? Maybe it's euros. I have no idea. It is euros. Yes. All right. Well, I mean, I think it's close to being the same as dollars, though, right? It's it's almost about the same. Yeah, I think so. So it's still about 40, but it's for 750 grams. So it's not even a, a kilo. Not even a kilo, yeah. Right. Oh, and I know it's 750 grams. It's 750 grams because then the shipping. It's a shipping thing. They they make it seven hundred fifty because the minute it hits a kilogram, I think the shipping gets more expensive, and it's, and if it's being shipped abroad, it, it brings other issues and whatnot. Um, so that's why they do seven hundred fifty grams, but that's pretty expensive for filament. Um, yeah, I mean that's like three times what you would pay for PLA. Yeah, and but you know what? I think that that's what they're banking on is that core customer base. That has a an affinity or an obsession with with hemp. Yeah, but it only has ten percent hemp. I know, but you know what? When you're obsessed, it doesn't matter. For for example, you guys, if Apple comes out with the next new thing, you go, "Oh, I gotta have it! I gotta have the Apple thing!" I don't know what it is. It's a it's a useless watch that does less than my phone does. I don't know. I gotta have it. No, I don't have the watch. <laughs> but I think that's how it might be. It might be, you know, that kind of that kind of deal. And I, and I like yeah, using I this analogy uh, with Harley motorcycles because if, you know, there's all different kinds of motorcycles and I don't have a Harley and, you know, I don't feel one way or another about it. But if you go to a Harley dealership, any Harley dealership, I, I would suggest you go just to, to, to experience their sales model. You go to the showroom and you, exp you would think, oh, it's a Harley dealership. I'm going to see thousands of motorcycles. No, that's not what you see. You go to the showroom and you will see a dozen motorcycles and a great big humongous showroom or um, store, I, I would say, of parts, accessories, clothing, and every other thing they could possibly sell you with a Harley logo on it. So they are banking on the fact that their core customers are so loyal that they don't actually even need to sell them motorcycles anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is what this is, that same psychology of marketing to your core um, demographic. I think saying, oh, it has hemp in it, even though it only has 10% hemp. <laughs> See, but I think it's even like less than that because like at least <clears throat> Harley still made that t-shirt that they're buying, right? Still, it still says Harley. Like yeah. this is like saying I'm a vegan, which I'm not and I would never be. Um, yeah, that's weird hearing you say that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like saying, okay, there's somebody that's a vegan, yeah. and they're used to eating 100% vegan food, and then all of a sudden I'm going to be like, okay, well, here, let me sell you this thing that is 10% vegan. <laughs> you should still pay more than you're going to pay for this other thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, because it's not even a brand name. It's just the fact that it has this in it. Yeah, you know? it's, it's weird. You're right. I, I agree it's weird. But I think that that's what they're banking on. I think it's that psychology. 
So I'm going to add a, another part of that psychology. And so in, in this particular um, product that we have, and we'll share the link in here, mm-hmm. there is a, a section about safety, mm-hmm. uh, safety information. And there's also um, legalities, right? So I don't know how many of these filaments actually have these sections for legalities and, and safety. and mm-hmm. um, But I, I think it's pretty cool to have environmental information. So it basically has three different categories. Safety information, legally obliged information, and environmental information. So in the environmental information, that's a big check because mm-hmm. this is very um, biodegradable. This is one of the top, in my view, like from what I've learned about bioplastics, this really covers the check mark of environmental friendliness at least but it's not necessarily just because it has 10 percent hemp because it's also, because it's also pla exactly and, and and it's all pla right? right but the possibilities of of having hemp based like plant-based pla mm-hmm. is pretty cool since yeah. we learned that you know like not all pla is created equal mm-hmm. right um but the illegality part is interesting because i think that there's that component in the marketing part that we're not seeing it's like you know it's almost being like that that um, daredevil, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I have hemp 3D printing filament. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'll pay 40, but I'll, I'll, I'll pay double the amount of what that is because I, I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of a maverick. Well, I mean, if we want to get into <laughs> that, and, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but if we want to get into that, because I saw a story go through my Facebook feed earlier on in the week, and then if there's kids listening, we're all adults here. If there's kids listening, grow up a little bit, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. There, I saw a filament that is for printing edibles, right? Again, if you're a kid and you don't know what an edible is, go ask your parents. <laughs> no, Please so basically an edible is a marijuana-based candy, right? That's usually what it is, some kind of marijuana-based food. No, it doesn't yeah. have to be big. It could be candy. It could be a yeah. drink. It could be... So that's what that's what's an example. So this is so you could print candy made of marijuana, basically. Right? That is being a rogue. That is being... Because that's not 10% hemp. <laughs> that is 100% edible. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I, yeah. I appreciate it. I think it's cool. I just I, I wish it wasn't this expensive for the fact that they're just adding ten percent hemp. It's a little too expensive. If it wasn't that this expensive, I would be all for it. it it's just a little too expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- th- there it is. I think mm-hmm. uh, unless you guys have anything else to add to this discussion, but at least I, I mean, I I came out of this learning a little bit more mm-hmm. about four hundred and twenty percent more. Right. So did you read the one review? By the way, have you checked that with the one review? <laughs> oh no, I did not check there's the one, one review. There's one review, there's but one I, review I can't. For this? I can't click on it on my phone. I don't know. Maybe you can see it. I'm trying um, to see. I did notice that it does have both thicknesses of the sort of standard uh, uh, nozzle or the standard um, uh, filament. So it has the 1.75 and the 2.85 millimeters. So it does have that going for it. Oh, it says, easy to print and strong. This hemp filament was very easy to print and with a, with and a very nice natural looks. look. Looks. Looks. <laughs> strong. Service was great. <laughs> After, seven days. After seven days in the U.S. So they shipped to the U.S. Yep. There you go. I was hoping it was a little more interesting of a review. <laughs> <laughs> We could write a review as well if you want. So no, you no, need we, to re- you need to really to buy it. the product. Oh, by the way, you can. I mean, we'll post some in there, but um, there are some of the other um, 
manufacturers of 3D uh, filaments, of hemp filaments, that actually send um, samples. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah, maybe, maybe I found we'll one of them, that so I'll, we'll post it online, yeah. So and I'll tell one. the people at 3d4makers.com, if you want to send me a roll of this, I would be glad to print some stuff with it and then talk about it. <laughs> They're not listening, but I'm just saying. Well, it'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there is one place that I that I saw at least that I've made Some sample. It'd be cool to try it out. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully you guys learned something. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I liked it. Cool. Very interesting topic. Yep, very nice. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to the last segment of the show, which is what are we working on? All right, so let's tell people what we've been working on. Claudia, why don't you go first? Aside yeah. from this report, <laughs> what have you been well, working this on? this report a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. this was, I'm just kidding. So we, we actually, I mean, I, I don't know if you, we were going to mention this, Jose, but we filled out all the applications for Maker Faire. The World Maker Fair. Um, I wasn't going to mention that until whether we got accepted or not, but yeah. So we are yeah, okay. we are we trying should... to get into World Maker Fair, have a booth there, and and potentially do a presentation, do the basically the show live from the Maker Fair. Yeah. So I mean that that, that was something that we've been working on, and uh, sharing all of our uh, our work. I mean, just you know, like you guys have done a lot of amazing work in YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, like, really trying to to collect that in, in like, a, a playlist mm-hmm. so that um, um, our listeners or subscribers can go in YouTube and check them out. Uh, the other thing is, I don't know if you're going to mention this, but Jose is going to do a, a, a quick talk tomorrow at uh, a rec center here in D.C. Yep. Uh, talking about social entrepreneurship and fabrication for youth. Yep. So talk to the youth. Be- so setting up those things, I you know it's always it's always fun. Um, it's all volunteer work, and it's always about uh, making this maker movement more accessible to everyone. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Right. What about you? Oh man, where to start? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the big news is you know that new building that we put up in the back of the. Yep. So well, I still don't have a CO, but mm-hmm. we do have electricity in there. We have the Yay. air. The airlines are in. Um, the reason we don't have a CO is because we we can't get the plumber to come out and finish the job. Right, because you were gonna put a bathroom over in the corner, right? They made us put a bathroom in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Even though we have you know a, a campus with four buildings, right? Uh, we the the um, the uh, permitting department gave us a choice. Mm-hmm. They said you can either put an ADA accessible bathroom in the new building. Mm-hmm. Or we can evaluate the bathrooms, the existing bathrooms you have, um, as far as your entire campus is concerned, and you need to bring those up to the current no. standard. <laughs> exactly. So we're like, you know what? We'll just put in the new bathroom. Hmm. Yeah. So you so, know what you should label? I just I saw the perfect sign. We should think of the perfect sign you should put in this bathroom. What was it? Was uh, gender neutral? <laughs> <laughs> gender neutral. Gender neutral bathrooms that you should put on there rather than just ADA. <laughs> oh, you totally yeah. should do that. Yeah. Oh, that'll, that that'll would be go like over well. Yeah, that the go first well gender neutral <laughs> so, in Dilbert. <laughs> you know what? That's not a bad idea. And I'll put I, it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah find yeah. me the sign. Find me the sign. 
and we mean this in the in, in the like in the nice way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're not, not making, making fun, fun or anything. No. I'm, making, I'm like, making fun of Ray and <laughs> Shop a little more than I'm making fun of anything else. But I think it's pretty cool. I think it's actually like a really cool thing. Like this yeah. is how I, you know, like machine shops are are, are within the identity and equity movement. <laughs> yeah. So we got electricity in, and Wednesday, mm-hmm. this Wednesday, is moving day. We are bringing the big uh, machines that are in the other shop. Oh, okay. Have you so put the doors on yet? The, the doors door. are not on yet because uh, we were concerned that with the doors in place, mm-hmm. that the uh, movers won't have enough room to maneuver. Oh, for the machines. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we because the one side is a little bit lower than the mm-hmm. end. So we're like, you know what? We'll put them in after we get the big machines moved. So we have a big 208-ton press brake, the uh, 12-foot shear, the 14, 14 or 16-foot, now I don't even remember, uh, slip rolls. So we usually roll, you know, plates into cylinders and stuff like that, uh, column covers and things of that nature. So we're bringing in, and then there's another brake that has flattening dies in it, um, and we have a, a third brake that we might just go ahead and bring over that will have hemming dies in it. So we've got quite a bit of equipment. The big, the small stuff we can move, but uh, the big brake is about 30,000 pounds. So, and, and I don't know if you know this, but just like there is a specialty for everything. Um, you know, you have, you have regular movers that will move your, your home or office. You have uh, movers that will move buildings and, and you know, that kind of thing. There are specialty movers that specialize in the moving of industrial equipment. Mm-hmm. And this will, this will be the third time that we've used them to move some big, heavy equipment. And they do a fantastic job. So they're going to move those big, heavy machines uh, on Wednesday. That's move day. So I'm hoping to be able to put a video. Uh, a video. I'm hoping to be able to make a video and not be in the way. So we'll have to play that by ear. Yeah, okay. I would think I might. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out when I when I'm gonna go up see you up there. Maybe I go up Thursday, so maybe I'll see the stuff already moved. All I yeah. gotta think is like safety, safety, yeah. safety. Yeah. Wow. That's oh cool. yeah, no, we don't touch it. They do every. They do 100 of everything. Wow. So, so you pretty much shut down then for the day? No, no. That, that does not affect the main shop. That's only gonna affect the uh, new shop. The new shop. Okay. And then well, of course you, you were moving one of the machines from the main shop in there, aren't you? Uh, we might move one of the lathes, the 20-foot yeah. lathe, but we're yeah. not 100% sure just yet. Mm. So we want to get the big stuff because we can move that uh, ourselves. Okay. Um, you know, you say 20-foot lathe, mm. and it, it probably weighs, you know, 10,000, 15,000 pounds. Mm. Uh, but we, we can handle that. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then, of course, um, on a personal note, my wife and I bought a... A seven-acre parcel. Yeah, very cool. So that is going to be interesting because I'm going to make a video series of the house we build. Nice. Yep. yep. Cool. Very cool. Should very be very cool. interesting. Yep. Nice. Yay! Yeah. Congratulations. You know, I uh, I thought I'd be more excited, <laughs> but I'm not because I, know, like, I know how be much like, more work they would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot of work to build your own house. It's exciting. I mean, I think because we work in, we've, I mean, I still work on it. You worked on it for so long or whatever. Like yeah. it loses a little bit of its luster for us. 
as oh, far yeah. as doing it, you know. Well, especially, you know, every single project, you there's always problems, always issues, always mm-hmm. something that needs to be uh, resolved or figured out. So mm-hmm. I'm already expecting to have some issues, and we haven't even started. Right. <laughs> All I have to say is I bet you 150-year-old Frank Wright would not have this attitude, guys. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? He, no, he, you know, like, he was worse. He's like, hey, you, yeah. go go do this. Right. Not he done yet. <laughs> I've seen the documentaries where they talk about, like, he designed houses, and he never showed up to see the final product. He oh, was like, no. He was like, I, I, I know what it looks like. I did the drawings, and I know what it's going to look like. There's no need for me to go see it. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. Um, which that brings me to one of the things I've been doing, actually. Because um, I've been watching on, on the Netflix machine, I've been watching a show called Grand Designs. Um, I guess it's a British show because all of the all of the projects are in in the London area. Um, but I think it's something if people are interested on you know the process behind building your own home, that is a very good program for that. Um, so yeah, check it out. I mean, just off like the first three projects, the the, the first one was people that bought a theater, like an old historic theater, and they basically tore it down and just kept the front facade and renovated the facade and built a house behind it. Um, there was a house that was built in an airfield. Um, there was a house that was designed for a, a war veteran that had lost three of his limbs. So it was designed specifically for him. Um, there was a house that was mostly underground and in sort of like a landlocked lot so they're, they're all very they're all very interesting they're all contemporary homes and they do a great job of sort of showing the problems they run into one of the one of the owners ended up selling his company that he owned in order to finish financing the house oh wow so like to that and they mm-hmm. and they talk about money like oh well what's the budget okay and and as they go through they're like well what, how are you with your budget and you know nobody's after this one i don't think anybody's met their actual budget um yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like I, I usually don't do well with like British anything mm-hmm. because I'm always like, <laughs> it's true. Like I cannot understand. I'm like, why can't they speak proper English? <laughs> wasn't your wasn't your roommate British? Yes, in college. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I would divert to other topics. We we end up having to turn on the the closed captioning for her. So, so yes, because I was like, I really wanted to hear it. I was actually like, really, I was like, what? I kept because I kept on bugging her, say, what did they say? What did they say? And then finally, like, I was able to do it. But it's pretty good. It's like it's almost like the the architecture version of the British Bake Off. <laughs> well, it's not a competition either. Yeah, it's um, not. <laughs> but it's it's interesting because it really does show. Um, the issues it shows how to make a contemporary house it it it, it it's very it, i don't know I, I found it very interesting um i think the host is very good um and all, every house has a certain twist to it you know there's this guys that build a a modern farm farmhouse in their, their new farmland that they have bought um there's a there's one that's a guy who builds with like a i think it's called slack which is an old technique where he's basically building with mud right and he's like the only person that does it in in London or whatever. So he decided to build the biggest house ever of this material. Um, and you see this happening throughout years. Like sometimes it'll be two years. So it's almost like documentary style. One episode will cover two years for them to get this house built or three years for them to get this house built. And there's multiple visits to the house. So it's, it's a good show to people, people to check out. There's two seasons of it up on Netflix. So 
I would say check it out. It's called Grand Designs. Mm, yeah, it's um, yeah. cool. So, yeah, and then the only other thing I did, I've been busy with other stuff that I don't want to talk about on the air. Um, but uh, one of the things I put out of video... Is it hemp-related? Apparently. What do I not know? It, it is not. No, you know. I just don't want to say it on air. Okay. Um, uh, the only other thing I did is I put out a YouTube video where I did a... Um, I did my own version of the Saturday Night Live Cardi Air Spinner, which is a skit from this past season of Saturday Night Live. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, always, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a funny skit. People should check it out. I have a link to it in the video, and then I make my own. So, I actually made three of them. So. You know what would have been uh, nice? If you guys reenacted the scenes. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny if you guys reenacted yeah, part of it. It would have been funny, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know, it was cool. So, it was fun to do. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all I have. Um, and I guess that's really the end of the show. Why don't we tell people where they can find more about each of us? Oh, actually, you know what? There's one more thing. and uh, I have it open on this computer over here. You guys should check out a new website from the Maker Fair people. It is called makershare.com and it it's by the make by make you know the people that have make, make magazine make magazine maker fair it's called make share and it's basically it's sort of a social media type thing you can create your own profile you can put in projects that you've done um so you guys should check it out it's called makeshare.com so it's a community yeah it's a community they're going to have different things and you can share your projects you can see other makers whatnot um so check it out i i got an email about it and i ended up joining it so We'll see how it goes. I'm going to put the made podcast on there at some point in the near future. I've created a profile for myself. So, um, But yeah, so glad I want you to tell people where they can find more about you. Hi, you can find more about me at thecityecologist.com, uh, on Twitter at thecityecologist. Um, yeah. Cool. Great. Well, you can find out more about me at my YouTube channel, Ray Pena. Um, you type it in. Trust me, that'll be the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, more about the homemade lathes that I build and uh, give a little bit of advice on at the Facebook um, Homemade Lathe group. Uh, it's called Homemade Lathes. Yep, cool. And we also have links in the description for both of those Yeah. as well. So cool. And yeah, you can find me at City Aperture, whether it's the website cityaperture.com or any social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as City Aperture. Um, and you can also find the podcast is Admade Podcast on Twitter. That's also the Gmail email account and the website. Check it out. But that's the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Oh, yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.